Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 26. I want to read from there uh, in a moment. I have goals for this year. I hope you do. I have uh, anticipation. I don't know all that's going to happen. I know that every year contains things that we don't want to happen, but they happen. So, But we have to be able to process all that. I want this to be a year of... Uh, fulfilled goals of uh, anticipated dreams of advancing uh, the will of God uh, for all of our lives. And I, I'm going to get to preaching, although uh, we've had a lot of guest uh, speakers uh, in the past couple of weeks, and then the next two Sundays, it's going to be Jay Numbard and then um, uh, Ernie Toppin. So my preaching uh, is limited this month, but I'm going to uh, minister a sermon uh, on that subject and a couple other things that I want to deal with this month. So look forward to God doing great things uh, this year. Matthew 26. What would happen if you had, and I'm asking this without regard to the condition of it now in your life. It may be what I would consider, God would consider, and you might consider pretty good. But notwithstanding that, what would happen if you had a revival of prayer in your life? Now, if you think that the answer is nothing, then don't consider it. Just keep Living the way you're living, doing what you're doing. If there is prayerlessness, just keep right on. But if you think that a revival of prayer might make a profound difference in your life, then I want to challenge you today. If you believe that prayer changes things, if you believe that God hears our prayer and answers our prayer, you better think about what I'm challenging you toward today. Think about giving serious consideration to initiating a revival of prayer in your life. Is your prayer life sufficient? How would you answer that question? How often... Do you pray, and I mean really pray. I hear people, oh, yes, I pray, but they don't. How often do you pray, I mean really pray, where you detach from everything but God? A dedication of 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or an hour where it's prayer, it's my Bible, and I'm detaching from everything. How much of that is a part of your life. How good, how passionate, how healthy can your relationship with God be without strong and dedicated communication, which, of course, is what the Bible calls prayer. Prayer is communing with God, communicating with God, interacting with God. Prayer is the language someone wrote of communication, and without it, uh, can't have a right relationship with God. 
Today we're going to examine prayer and the quality of it in your life. We're going to examine the power of prayer and the fact that prayer changes things. Prayer has direct impact on details and circumstances of your life. Prayer has direct impact and influence on your inner spiritual constitution, your attitudes. We're going to look at a fascinating text. And I was directed toward this. I had started, this is one of those sermons that I got very inspired about, and I wrote a good portion of it before I settled on a text, this one in particular. I was looking at a few other things, but I really felt God dealing with me about this because I think there is so much here for us to walk away from this service with that will add to and enhance and bless our lives. This, of course, is the scene uh, leading up to and then in the Garden of Gethsemane that is so much about prayer on the eve of Jesus' arrest, uh, trial, and crucifixion. You're going to follow with me as I read from verse 31 of Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to Jesus, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. So it wasn't just Peter shooting off his mouth. They all did. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. Jesus took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And Jesus went a little further, fell on his face, prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then Jesus came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour and watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation? The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And again, a second time, Jesus went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, so he left them. And he went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity, Lord. I pray that you would arrest the hearts of all the saints here today, this morning. Communicate truth and revelation. Lay hold of every life tonight. And let this altar be a place of revival under prayer. And we thank you in Jesus' name and all God's people said. I want to talk about the power source first. I don't think that we realize how fragile life is 
and how fragile life can be. Things seem so secure sometimes, don't they? They seem so permanent, but they aren't. Jesus is feeling in our text the full force of how fragile and how vulnerable and how weak we can be. This is the one who walked on water, rose people from the dead, healed the sick, and now he's weak, and he's fragile, and he's vulnerable, and so too are his disciples, although they say otherwise. The situation is extreme. But it illustrates what can happen in life, in your life. Because life is fragile. People lose, for example, what they thought was a secure job. You thought you were going to work there for years, even decades. You planned your future uh, around this company, uh, around this job, uh, around this career. And then all of a sudden, one day, one meeting with a boss, uh, and it is uh, over. You thought you were going to go to work uh, like another day, but it proved to be fragile. Another man or woman might be healthy and fit. Pride themselves in their strength and take it all for granted. And then something happens. You're sick and you're diagnosed with something or your body is broken somehow. And all of a sudden, that which you had confidence in is shaken. The health and the safety of our children the strength of our marriage, anything in life, listen, can be sorely tested because life can be so very fragile. Prayer is the consideration of this. Valuable things that you have this morning can be broken and they can be shattered. If you're moving, let's say, from one house to another, You take special precaution with what is fragile. They make special packaging for it. Bubble wrap, uh, those little uh, annoying uh, uh, popcorn styrofoam things that get stuck everywhere, if you've ever used them. The way boxes are constructed, you can take something uh, that's very fragile, uh, like a glass or a cup, uh, and you put it in its assigned place, uh, and you can travel, and it won't break. When you move, you take the fact that you own and are trying to transport uh, fragile things into consideration, uh, you'd be foolish not to. uh, And if you ignore how fragile things are, uh, don't be surprised uh, if you, when you arrive, furniture is scratched uh, and things are broken. Prayer is the packaging material for life. We are traveling through life. And we take everything that is fragile, everything that is valuable, and everything that is precious. And as we're traveling through life, we wrap it in prayer. The problem is with a lot of people, 
is that they're traveling through life with a lot of fragile things. I need a disciple to help me quickly. Here we go. All right, just stand back here and hold that. Okay, these are my fragile things in life. This is my Oakland Raiders coffee cup. This is one of my two favorite coffee cups. I've had this for probably 20 or 25 years. This is my second favorite coffee cup. It actually has my name on it, if you can see it. One of my grandchildren gave me that. This is my Los Angeles Lakers drinking mug. And I've got a few other here. This one says Commander-in-Chief. I bought it at the Reagan Library, and I don't use it because... I'm not the commander-in-chief Jesus is. So if you ever see this on my desk, cast pride out from me. And I've written a few things on these cups. This one says marriage. This one says relationships. This one says ministry and calling. So these are some... You can go sit down now. These are some of the fragile things... That I have in my life. But they're not wrapped. They're just thrown into a box. And now I'm going to travel through life. And every once in a while. I hope this has been put together correctly by Josh Quintero. Every once in a while I'm going to hit a pothole. And then every once in a while the truck is going to have to make a hard right. Or a hard left. And then every once in a while, as I'm traveling through life, these fragile things uh, that haven't been wrapped properly, uh, the truck is going to have to break suddenly. And then when some guy starts unloading boxes, one of the boxes may drop. I hope I don't have anything in here my wife gave me. See, some of you pray wrongly. What you're praying for every once in a while when you do pray, Oh, God, please don't let this truck go over a pothole. Trucks are going to go over potholes. Stuff is going to be dropped. The devil is going to assault and make sure that the precious things that I have in my life are challenged. I can hear that things are broken in here. I wonder if it's the cup that represents my marriage, has a crack or two. I wonder if it's the cup that represents my calling and my ministry. I wonder if it's the one that represents my finances as I'm traveling through life. I'm not protecting them with the packaging material that God has made available to me. This box here, Adrian, why don't you come back? For a second. You see, I've taken those... Josh, you messed up on this box. I told him it takes an engineering mind to put one of these. These are the one of the ones that come flat and you've got to fold it. I think we had to sacrifice a couple before we got to this point. So these are other things that I value that I've wrapped up in bubble wrap. 
This is something I have in my office. This is something one of my daughters gave me. This is dad. This is my daughter. And I put it in my office and it reminds me of her. I'm not going to travel through life with this relationship unwrapped. I'm going to protect it in prayer because potholes are coming. Life is uncertain. This other item, you may think this is a little goofy, but when I was one, 60 years ago, my mother and my brother and myself uh, uh, drove our family car to Canada where we lived for a summer because my dad was on a business assignment. Uh, and she stopped in Idaho and bought this. It's been around my house all my life. And I ended up with it. And so it has sent, I would not want this to break. It would vex me if it broke. It has value to me. God, please protect this. So now I'm going to travel through life. You can sit down, Adrian. Thank you. I'm going to travel through life with everything protected by prayer. So that when I hit potholes, you see, the, the, the prayer that you should be praying is, God, don't let the driver slam the brakes uh, or take too hard a right or a left turn uh, or don't let him hit potholes uh, or don't let him drop the box. I could take all of these items out. I don't know what I'm going to find when I open this one, but I did hear things break. And as I'm opening it up, uh, there are things broken. My good, best, favorite cup is broken. I wanted to take the risk. I wanted to actually put valuable things in there that are now broken. To illustrate the mistake that so many of us make in life. You've got so many valuable things. So many things that are precious and so many things that are meaningful. And we're traveling through life with all of these fragile, breakable things and we're not offering them the protection that is available. How much better would your marriage be after potholes and slamming on the brakes and a few drops? How much better would your marriage be if you had used the packaging material of prayer? You're still going to go over potholes, but not going to affect you the same way. You're still going to experience uh, maybe tragedy and some failure and setback uh, and, and problems and difficulties and challenges. Uh, but because you've used the packaging material, it doesn't break. See, this is what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus sees it. Peter and the other disciples do not. Peter is very close to failing. He's very close to discovering how fragile something is that he thought was so secure. My relationship with you, Lord, is like this. I will never leave you. He didn't realize how fragile that was, that he was about to hit a pothole. Somebody was going to drop it. The devil was going to kick at it. And Jesus could see. He doesn't have his relationship with Christ wrapped in the proper packaging material. Therefore, he's going to fail. He said, even if all are made to stumble, I'll never be made to stumble. Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. He thinks his relationship with God, protected, 
guarded, secure, established on a firm foundation. He had no idea how fragile it really was. And how often is that the case? Peter's life at this stage is like this box. All these fragile things, but they're not protected. So they're vulnerable to breakage just by virtue of life. Life has potholes and challenges, some extreme, some not so extreme. You can bust your car up if a pothole is deep enough and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, comes on you suddenly and you can't uh, uh, get around it. The disciples are far more fragile than they think they are. And remember, they're in the presence of Jesus. As long as you're able to walk with fragile things like this, no problem. It sounds just like that other box. There's no difference. But as soon as there are challenges in life, then you discover how fragile Everything is, and remember, these disciples are in the presence of Jesus Christ. But that in itself was not sufficient. Judas collapsed into sin. All the while, he's surrounded by sacred and by holy things. Not the least of which is Christ himself. In order to be like this box that you can drop and nothing breaks, you've got to have your own prayer life. You've got to have your own relationship with God. In the garden, there was nothing that Jesus could do to help them. What they needed help with outside of the boundaries of what they had experienced up until that point, they needed prayer. Jesus, all he could do was tell them to pray. Whether they did or not was up to them. Couldn't make them. And he didn't succeed in making them. They slept instead. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And said to Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Jesus is able to tell them what to do. And he was able to show them the power that was available to them in that critical hour. You know what? Your life could be very close to a critical hour. They didn't know what was coming. Only Jesus did. Things can strike. And if you are not praying and you don't earnestly start to Uh, Perhaps this morning uh, you could end up uh, just like this box. Uh, You take all these fragile, breakable things uh, and it drops. Because there's things you can't plan for in life. You have to have been already praying uh, when the drop occurs. I can start praying now, but now there's damage that has to be fixed and repaired, you see. Sit here, Jesus said, while I go and pray over there. Verse 38, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, uh, even unto death. I wonder what they thought of that. What they see 
is the solution that Jesus chose. Five times in that short text that I read, prayer is invoked. Either Jesus is praying or he's admonishing his disciples to pray. The road is going to be rough, fellas. There are lots of potholes. If you don't secure the fragile, valuable things right now in prayer, you're going to experience some breakage in your life. We'll all get through this, Jesus is saying, if we pray. You'll get through whatever it is you're going through. If you'll accept the challenge to begin a revival of prayer at this altar tonight. I want to make an effort to identify some things that need to change. Because the title of my prayer is Prayer Changes Things. So much of what we wrongly and misguidedly settle for in our lives could be resolved in prayer and obedience. In the text, there's a solution for the pressure, for the stress, for the turmoil, for the trial, for all the assaults that are happening, and it looks like the enemy is winning. Jesus does get arrested. He does get put on trial, and he is hung on a cross, and the disciples are scattered. And they discover how fragile and uncertain life can be. There was a solution for what Jesus and the disciples were having to go through. The question is, are you willing, were the disciples willing to access the solution? And, you know, there are some people, they may not want the resolution that prayer and obedience can bring. And so people don't pray. They'd rather try to engineer their own methods and their own means. The last thing they want to do is respond to an altar call where the call of God for their life has been invoked and they've been challenged. They don't want to settle that in prayer. They want to continue in compromise and playing games with their calling. That's why it doesn't survive. See, this is where the weakness of our flesh comes in and becomes evident. It's interesting the way this is um, presented in this scripture. Jesus identifies what our problem is. He said, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. The willingness to want to. And the weakness that hinders that want to are both working at the same time. He said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And how often is that the case with us? The word willingness means to be forward in spirit, to be predisposed, to be ready or anxious. We can have all that in place and then... We're unable to break through the barrier of our flesh, which is defined here as that impotent, feeble part of our life that is unresponsive to spiritual things and without spiritual strength. And so herein lies our great challenge. The flesh is something that Jesus had to overcome for himself. And he encouraged his disciples They, at least here, were not able to. And there's nothing Jesus could do about that, was there? They didn't want to pray, they didn't. They let their flesh rule, which is uh, symbolized by their sleep. I'd ask you to pray. 
I've told you to pray. They may have said yes and amen, and then they dropped off to sleep. And then Jesus said, the spirit is willing, uh, but the flesh is weak. He kept going back to them, uh, cheerleading them to prayer. Uh, What? Could you not wash with me one hour? Uh, You're going to have to break through the barrier of your own flesh uh, in your own right. Jesus couldn't do this for them. The flesh ruled on that day. There's not a thing he could do about it. No one can do this for you. Jesus couldn't do it for the disciples. They had to do it for themselves. This is what a season of prayer and fasting is all about. This is why this is such a healthy exercise. What we're going to be doing Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week by having extra prayer meetings and by challenging it to fast for the three days or two days or one of the days, if you're at all able to. We are serving notice to our flesh. You will not rule. I will pray. I will have a break through with God in my hour of need. That's what Jesus is doing. He's overwhelmed. He is weary. He's broken. He's crushed under the weight of betrayal and rejection. He's flesh. The Bible says he's sweating as it were great drops of blood. He had to break through the flesh when the flesh was crying out to rule. He had to break through the flesh when the flesh was saying I am stronger than your spirit. I will sit on the throne. Jesus had to break through. He had to pray. He encouraged his disciples, but they were unable to do so at this critical hour. So what is it this morning that you are settling for in your life that you should not be settling for? There are three dimensions that I want to talk about that we affect in prayer. The first is the area of our relationships. How many of us just simply accept chaos in relationship? Breakage. You know why your relationships are such a mess? Because they're thrown into a box with no security in prayer. And when an offense happens, there's breakage. And you haven't fixed it yet. You're just leaving it dangle. You're not right with a brother. uh, You're not right with a sister. uh, You're not right with a family member. uh, And there's no prayer to do so. We just accept uh, our anger, uh, our bitterness, uh, and our unforgiveness. uh, And we simply allow it to lie. I know. That forgiving people that have hurt you very deeply and badly is hard business. uh, And that's why prayer is so essential. Uh, The fact that you're not doing that indicates uh, that this fragile thing we call our relationships with our fellow man uh, and our brethren, uh, the reason why it's broken uh, is because there's no prayer. God, help me to forgive. Uh, I do forgive. Uh, I don't want to be the kind of person uh, that holds grudges for months and years. Help me. I repent. God, forgive me. Do we love as we should? Do we forgive as we should? How much offense do we perpetuate? And then when the solution is readily available for us, uh, we don't take the necessary action. 21 times in the New Testament, 
Either Jesus himself or other of the other writers admonish us to love one another. Not some, not a few, not the ones that treat you good. Love one another, all men, all women, at all times, especially those who've hurt and offended you. We fail to realize that the only reason relationships are broken is because our relationships are not inside the packaging material of prayer. First Thessalonians 3.12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love, increase and abound in love toward one another and to all. What about the all part of this? Yeah, I know you got your buddies, you got your friends, you got, got the people you groove on, make you feel good about yourself and all of that. But what about the all? Just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God, the Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. You know what that verse is? It's a prayer. The Apostle Paul is praying for this element of the Thessalonian believers because there's a connection between love and personal holiness. How do you expect to achieve all that, achieve all that if not in prayer? That's where it flows from. That's where it comes from. As you interact with God, a dimension of his love flows into your heart, and you're able to love. You're able to not be angry. First Thessalonians 4, 9 says, For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. That's what he, he doesn't teach your anger and your upset. That's not, that doesn't come from God. He doesn't teach unforgiveness. He doesn't teach all of that, division. He teaches love. There's some love we don't have to be taught. We just naturally do it. We love family most of the time. Maybe I should rewrite this sermon. I don't know. But you have your friends. You don't have to be taught to love them. You have people that are your kind of person. You don't have to be taught to love them. Who do we have to be taught to love? Uh, People that aren't like us and people that offend us and people that hurt us uh, and people that wound us and people that abuse us. In many people's lives, the fragile nature of relationships has been exposed because it's represented by this box. It's all broken. Couples who pray the least for each other, marriage will be full of cracks and breakage. Something as fragile as a marriage, which can go south so very quickly, not because of sin necessarily, relational offenses, minor slights. It doesn't take a week or a month or six months uh, and a couple's divided living like roommates because there's no prayer. If you're complaining about your marriage, uh, how much uh, are you praying uh, for your husband uh, and for your wife? The other arena that prayer affects is the arena of circumstances. Now, I want to be very clear about this, and I want you to follow me here. The text is about a circumstance, a pothole, as it were, in the road. A situation that, through no choice of their own, they've been thrust into all of a sudden. 
There's two points to make about your circumstances and the effect that prayer has on them. The first is that sometimes it's about strength through a circumstance that is not going to change. Not going to change. You need strength through it. That's what's happening in our text. The circumstance is not going to change. She's going to be arrested. He's going to be found guilty, falsely accused, and he's going to the cross. What he needs is strength through it. What the disciple need, what the disciples need is strength through this incredible trial that they're about to undergo. The circumstance isn't going, you can have faith for God to change any circumstance. But I'm just saying that this is reality. Some circumstances aren't destined, nor are they determined to change, but you can change. Pastor, I can't take any more. Oh, yes, you can. You watch what God does in your heart and help you to bear up under the weight of this circumstance that you're having to deal with. Through prayer, God can help you to bear up. God can provide you the strength. You can handle so much more than you think because prayer is our source of strength. And when Jesus went back to the disciples after he had gone to pray for a little while, he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. You're going to be tempted, but you don't have to enter into the authority of it and come underneath the authority of that temptation. Temptation is going to happen. Satan is going to seek to interact with your fallen nature, but you can do something about that. You may not change the circumstance, but you can change. You could be in a situation right now. The answer is not to remove the situation. The answer is to sustain you and to strengthen you. The book of Colossians chapter 1 says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. That's what we need sometimes. And then, of course, there are circumstances that God absolutely can change and does change. And it is his will to change on the heels of your faith and you're invoking his power over a situation. This is what healing is all about. Matthew 9 says, Then Jesus touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were open by faith. You can open blind eyes. By faith, you can cause the lame to walk. By faith, you can address a financial situation and believe God for a miracle. God can and does intervene. For the eyes of the Lord, Second Chronicles 16.9, run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong on our behalf. The third area where God's power affects through prayer is the attitudes of your heart. No hands raised now. Is there anything in your life that you know is not from heaven? It's not godly virtue. It's selfishness. It's my pride. It's my self-reliance. It's my lack of faith. It's my anger. It's my unforgiveness. What attitudes 
are present in our hearts that are not of God, what are you accepting and accommodating in here that does not belong? Paul prayed this prayer and said, Now I pray to God that you do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable. Though we may seem disqualified, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong. And this also we pray, that you may be made complete. Pray for the spiritual condition of their soul. That's what Paul is doing. How much more necessary is it for them to pray over their own heart? You know, you're the steward of every attitude that you have. Those attitudes are there or not there by virtue of choices and decisions that you make. Our prayer should be, God, I want to be right, and I want to do right. I don't want a single thing in my heart, any attitude, any thought, any imagination to be present that is not of you. Let it be all love and all faith and all forgiveness and all confidence in the promises of God. David cried out and said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me uh, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Uh, He's not willing to settle uh, for anything in his heart that is not of God. And that's why we need a revival of prayer in our lives uh, because there are things in us that are not of God. Let me close by talking to you about accessing, accessing God's power. God's power is readily accessible through prayer. Jesus prayed. That's what he did. And he made it through. The hardest trial that anyone has ever been through to die for all the sins of all the world. He encouraged his disciples to pray on different occasions because of the urgency of the moment. They were about to discover how fragile things that they thought were secure were. You have access to everything you need from God through prayer. Hebrews says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace uh, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, Ephesians says, for through him we both have access uh, by one spirit to the Father uh, in whom we have boldness uh, and access with confidence through him in faith. You have access. You can freely come. You can enter into the Holy of Holies like we've been teaching in our Sunday school on the tabernacle in the wilderness. There are no barriers and there's no waiting room. Don't you hate it? When you go to the doctor's office, uh, you had an appointment at 10, and you walk in, and there's 27 other people who also had an appointment at 10. So you're going to get in there about 2.30. Aren't you glad you don't have to do that with God? You can come straight to this altar, enter into the Holy of Holies, instant access. And there's something else here that is so very important. Because it's possible to pray amiss. The Bible says that. We pray, but our hearts aren't right. We pray, but it's selfishness that's driving our prayer life or rebellion. I can't tell you how many times people have come, said, Pastor, this is what I'm going to do. I prayed about it. Nothing more than rebellion. You're invoking God to back up your rebellion. 
So it's not just a matter of going through what we call prayer, but it has to do with the attitude of your heart, and it has to do with how you feel about the will of God. That is the centerpiece here. How you pray and of what spirit and attitude you are of matters. Matthew in our text. Jesus went a little further, fell on his face and prayed, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And then a third time, so Jesus left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. So he said it again. How much of our lives... And this is a deep question. And I want you to take this out of the service and think about it today. How much of our lives are unsurrendered at the time we're praying? We're praying, but we're not surrendered. We have no intention of doing the will of God, actually. At least not the things that require the highest level of sacrifice and faithfulness and commitment. How much of our lives are unsurrendered at the time... That we're praying, oh, we want things. We're moved to pray for things. And some of it is good. The salvation of, of a backslidden son or daughter or mother or father. But we can even be praying those good things. But our hearts are not oriented toward God's perfect will. In all that that means for our whole life, we're not surrendered to that. We want to reserve our own will to a lot of the activities of our life. How much of our lives are unsurrendered at the time we're praying? That should We should make an effort to ascertain that at the altar today. Because prayer can actually be about what we want. And some of the most important things in life, the biggest decision, we didn't pray about it. Because it's not about what God wants, it's about what we want. There were certainly more attractive alternatives for Jesus. Yeah, there were. And there are more attractive alternatives for you other than the will of God. But these more attractive alternatives for Jesus, and even said some of them. He said, could call down a legion of angels. Get me out of this. Do I have to drink this cup? He had alternatives, but they weren't the will of God. How many times do we choose an alternative that is not God's will for our life? And you know it, and yet you keep praying. When you pray with your heart set on God's will, you can expect answered prayer. You can expect help, God's favor, and God's blessing. James 5 says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Uh, that uh, f- that, that uh, insinuates uh, a righteous man connected with God, with integrity, uh, surrendered to the will of God, praying uh, With the right heart. You're curious, aren't you? Remember, I told you some of these things were important to me. I told you one of them was my favorite cup. The one that says Papa on it. The handle's broken. And it represents marriage. This was the cup I said is 20 years old. I'm not lying to you. It was valuable. Sentimentally, it says my children on that one. Where is the Lakers cup? 
But wouldn't you know it didn't break? <laughs> Look at that. I mean, I shook that up pretty bad, didn't I? This one is my attitudes. This is the Raiders' cup. <laughs> But you know what? In this other box that I wrapped everything up so carefully, my relationship with my daughter still intact, even though I dropped it and treated it just as badly as that one. And all the other valuable things unbroken. That's what it takes. And my question to you this morning My wife is going to say, Paul, what in the world were you thinking? (laughs) What would happen if you had a revival of prayer in your life and got all your valuables properly packaged so you could make it through life with them intact? I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody moving around for a moment. There's a wonderful grace of God here today. And as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's moving around for a moment. Perhaps you're here today and you've come to our service. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you've come back to church after having been out for a while. Maybe you got a flyer. Maybe you knew about the church or whatever reason. I'm not really interested in why you're here. I'm interested that you're here And you're not in a right relationship with God. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have not been born again. Your sins are not forgiven. You're traveling through life and you're being broken day by day. That's what sin does. Your own sin and the sin of others around you. It hurts. It wounds. It affects. It corrupts. And as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, you need to make a decision. I need Jesus. I'm ready to repent. I want to get my heart right with God. In Jesus' name. I know that inside I'm a mess of broken pieces, just like you illustrated mess of broken pieces because I'm trying to travel through life without a relationship with God. Sin is just like that box. Nothing's protected. Your heart, your life, your relationships, your mind. And as our heads are bowed, I want to tell you the answer's here tonight, this morning. Jesus is that answer. And all that is left for you to do is to admit that you're a sinner and receive him as your Lord and your Savior. And as our heads are bowed, as our eyes are closed, nobody's moving around for a moment. You have a decision to make. It's not too late. Even if there's been breakage, Jesus is a master at repairing the damage as though it never was. That's what he does. I'll probably try to fix some of the breakage in that box, but some of it won't be repairable. 
For there's no such thing as a life that he can't repair, a broken heart that he can't fix, a soul that he can't redeem. But you're going to have to take the next step. All that can be done has been done. He came, Jesus did, died on that cross, shed his blood, paid the price for your sin, rose from the dead, and now extends his hands to you. Whosoever will may come, the Bible says. Come unto me, Jesus said, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's what's left here, is you making a decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's moving around for a moment. I want to ask you if you'd let me say a prayer for you right where you're seated so that you can receive Christ as your Savior. You're ready. You want to make it today. You're serious. No better day than right now, beginning of 2016. It's the beginning of the rest of your life in Christ. And if that describes you, I want to help you. I want to pray for you. I want to believe God to work a miracle. And I want to ask you to do just one thing right where you're seated. Just lift your hand right where you are. Saying, Pastor, pray for me. I want to receive Christ today in Jesus' name. Lift your hand right up. God is dealing with your heart. Lift it up just so that I can see it, and then I can pray for you in Jesus' name. I want to repent today. I want to get my heart right today. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you once gave your life to Christ, and the reality of what I preached is your life. You are a box full of broken pieces. You thought you could do it on your own. You thought you could do it your way. Who needs Jesus? Who needs the church? I'm going to have fun in my sin. But it didn't work out, did it? And it's time for you to rededicate your life to Christ. I wonder if you wouldn't let me pray for you. Slip your hand up this morning. I want to repent. I want to get my heart right. In Jesus' name, lift your hand right up. And put it right back down in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I see that. Thank you very much. Anyone else? We'll wait a few moments. There are people. That's God dealing with you. Don't you understand that? It is God dealing with your heart. Would you lift up your hand? I'm not right. I want to get right. I know I need forgiveness. Amen. All right, if you raised your hand, would you look at me? Did you mean that? I believe you did. Would you come and let us pray with you right now? Someone's going to come and pray for you. Just kneel down right here. Someone's coming right behind you. Amen. Thank you. Go ahead, Liz. You can help as well. Amen. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Should we not all make an altar of prayer right now? I need a revival of prayer in my life. Devotion, dedication, faithfulness, diligence. Have you let yourself get too busy? Can you? Let me ask you this question. Can you wake up in the morning, get yourself ready, get in your truck or your car, or start going about your, and not one thought about God. Not one effort to set time aside to pray. How many times do you do that a day? If that's the case, you need a revival of prayer. You can survive with a box of fragile things as long as you don't hit any potholes. 
But I watch people. They hit a pothole, and everything starts breaking up. They get discouraged. They drop out of church. They're getting angry. Because all those fragile things like marriage and relationships and finances and 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 children and ministry and calling, uh, they're not wrapped up in the packaging material that God has provided, which is prayer. God, I want to protect my calling and ministry. Lord, I pray for my wife. I pray for my husband. Lord, preserve our marriage. Give us revival in our home and in our family. That's packaging material. And that has to be wrapped around those valuable things every single day. I want us all to stand and all to come to the altar. If you're a visitor and you're not sure what's going on, you can or may not, doesn't, but I'm, I'm addressing the membership of this congregation from the newest believer to the long-term member. All of us need a revival of prayer. I can tell you that our church needs a revival of prayer. When prayer meetings diminish, revival diminishes. When prayer meetings increase, when people work and sacrifice to come to prayer, to be in prayer, to join together with their brethren in prayer, and I understand scheduling and distance and all of that, but praying at home is not the same as coming and praying with others in the house of God. Oh, God, and I want us just right now to pour out our hearts before God. Oh, God in heaven. I need a revival of prayer in my life, in my family. And I know we need this in the church, oh God, because I believe prayer changes things. Prayer affects my heart, my relationships, and my circumstances. God, I want to be a man or a woman who's affected by your presence, whose attitudes are a reflection of your influence in my life through prayer. God, I pray for brokenness at the altar this morning. God, I bind all of my own selfishness, self-will, and pride, all of my excuses, all of my busyness, Lord. I've been saying I'm too busy, Lord. I have been allowed to be distracted in life, O God, from the altar and from your presence, O Lord. I need a revival of prayer in my life, O God, because I've allowed my attitudes to go astray. Lord, I've allowed for anger and unfaithfulness and doubt and unbelief and greed and pride, Father, to find expression. And so I need a revival of prayer in my life, O God. And I have not been addressing the circumstances of my life so that I can be strengthened through them and so that I can affect change in my circumstances. Oh, God, pour out your Spirit. Wash over my life, oh, God, in the name of Jesus. Yendere alara vila raba shoria, yanda raba roselere vila raba koria ravila ramando, yanda ravila raba shoria ravila ramando rolo robose. 
Oh, God, I need you, Lord God. I am desperate for you, Lord God. I come to you with all my faults and all my flaws, oh God. All of my mistakes, my sin, my errors, my blunders. And I present myself to you, oh God, at the altar of sacrifice. I come to you in brokenness and in desperation, oh Lord. Hallelujah. To rededicate my life to you, oh God. And to dedicate myself to you in prayer, oh Lord. Oh God, thank you, Lord. Oh Riaravila Rabasha, Riaravila Rabacosi, Aravila Ramando Ro, Yanda Ravila Ramando, Yanda Rabasho, Riaravila Rabacoria. Oh Jesus, touch hearts, pour out your spirit. Fill this place with your anointing and your presence and your glory, O oh God. Wash over our hearts, O oh God, deep inside, change and transform, O oh God, cleansing us from every attitude that is not of you, O oh God. Establish your holiness. Yanda ravila rabai kosi aravila rabai robo rabala ravila ramando rolo robo se. Thank you, Lord. Let's all stand to our feet. This is holy ground here today. I want every head bowed, every eye closed around these altars. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Holy ground is where God interacts with his people to accomplish his purpose and invoke his will in your life. Is this going to be an altar of surrender to his will, or are you going to continue to compromise and exercise self-will whenever you choose? Are you going to surrender to him? Is this going to be an altar where we're cleansed from the inside out? A diligent, prayerful effort, prayerful effort to remove everything in us that is not of God. We're going to dedicate ourselves as a church to three days of prayer, intense prayer and fasting. If you can fast for all three days, we challenge you to do so. I'd say a good half of you at least could do that. Maybe you can fast for two days or one day. If you have some medical or health condition where you can't, we understand that. But I'm asking you to make the effort. Fasting is serving notice to your flesh that you are not going to rule. I'm getting a breakthrough over my flesh. That's why we fast. It's a fast unto the Lord God. 
for the tearing down of strongholds, for the pushing back of sin in our culture and society, for gaining victory in our own lives. And we're going to be in prayer. We're going to have our regular prayer meetings as I announced, and then tomorrow night from 7 to 9, Tuesday night from 7 to 9. Those are the only extra prayer meetings. But I want to challenge you to commit yourself to be in every one of the prayer meetings, if you can be. You're going to be in every prayer meeting. And if not everyone, everyone that you can. Now, how many of you will commit to join in at the level that you're able to, to fasting and prayer? I want you just to raise your hand right now. God, I'm all in for this. I am all in for gaining revival in my heart in prayer. I'm all in for joining together with my brethren in prayer. I'm all in for the cleansing power to affect my relationships, my circumstances, and the condition of my heart. I want you to pray this prayer. Oh, my God, I know I'm standing on sacred holy ground, and I am no longer willing to play games with my life and my relationship with you, Lord, and my calling. I reject every attitude in my heart that is not of God. I will not settle for a heart that is contrary to godly virtue. I pray over my relationships, love and forgiveness from this moment forward. No more anger. No more unforgiveness. I'm enacting forgiveness right now. And, Lord, I'm praying over my circumstances. Strengthen me through them if necessary. Change them if that be your will. And I am initiating a revival of prayer right now in my life that is going to last beyond these three days, through the year, and until you come. I'm going to establish patterns and habits of prayer that I will never again pull back on. Help me, O God. Pour out your Holy Ghost right now. I commit to this. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's thank the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Father, I praise you, I love you, I exalt you, I glorify you, I worship you, O God, above all things. Oh, God, I thank you, Lord. For yea, the Lord would say this day that I am calling you to myself. I am calling you to myself so that I can pour out my Holy Spirit upon your life. Enough going astray. Enough walking in your own pathways, in your own direction. 
For yea, the Lord would say, Come unto me, saith God, under my authority, under my love, under my grace. Do you not know that in me you are secure? I am a God who is a faithful God who keeps covenant for a thousand generations. And if you will come underneath my authority, saith the Lord, I will put you underneath a covering that nothing can penetrate. No devil on earth, no situation, and no circumstance. For nothing happens outside the boundaries of my care and my love and my oversight. I will guard you. I will protect you. And I will cause you to flourish in the gates of my sanctuary, saith the Lord. Only come to me this day, saith God. Thank God. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Every head bowed. Just stay right where you are. We will dismiss in prayer. Today's important. The message, the response at the altar, prayer meeting tonight. Be in prayer this evening. Let's pack out that prayer room that we're going to be using tonight. Not the fellowship hall, but the other prayer room. You come to pray. Come early. Come to lay hold of God. Start making room for this in your life. And stop making excuses for not being there. And let's see what God does. A revival of prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask if um, uh, Brother George Rangel would close the service in prayer. Thank God for moving. Take time to follow up this afternoon. Bring someone tonight that needs Jesus. We're going to have a great service this evening. On the heels of a service like this, there's no telling what God will do. Be in prayer and let's trust God for great things. Amen. Brother George, would you pray and thank the Lord? Father, we thank you so much for this day which you are our Lord and Savior. We died upon the cross. Lord, thank you for allowing us to come to you. Lord, we bless you, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus, to do the will of the Father, to remember the gospel so that we can do it. For your glory, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. Go rejoicing today.